Jewish Money Matters, episode 241, Lynn Catalano, author of Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. What do we do if we find ourselves in a relationship with a narcissist? That is the topic of today's episode. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Lynn Catalano. Lynn is an attorney with the New York State Bar. She's a speaker training teams on emotional intelligence and toxic relationships, and now an author. Her new book is Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. She's on a mission to teach people to navigate toxic relationships both at home and in the workplace. We talk about her own personal experience, a painful one with narcissists. How do I identify narcissists? What role do we play in the dynamics of the relationship? What to do if we realize that we're dealing with a narcissist? And how having a narcissist either at work or at home could severely impact our financial well-being. Here's Lynn Catalano. Lynn Catalano, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the show and have this juicy conversation. You have a new book coming out, Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. What a title. You're an attorney. (laughs) You have the New York State Bar, and you help people navigate toxic relationships in workplaces and just in general. And I love this topic, Lynn, because, well, you know, this can have a huge impact on a person's financial life, especially when we speak about women, which is obviously something that I'm very passionate about. So let's dive in. (laughs) I have so much that we can discuss here. I guess my first question is, Lynn, how did you arrive at this space? Because as I said, you're an attorney by training. I know you've spent most of your career in the nonprofit sector, actually doing fundraising, right? You're an expert at fundraising. You're You're very familiar with the nonprofit space. So my question is, are the insights that you bring into toxicity and narcissism something that came from your own professional experience? Or how did you arrive at this new line of work or newer line of work? Well, you know, it, it was a it was a long journey and it was um, uh, a bumpy road. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that I, I I believe very much in in God and I believe that we're where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. Yes, and. After um, my mother died very young and very suddenly at oh. 66 years old. Wow. Um, and it, I'm an only child. It was, it was a real pivotal uh, event for me for mm-hmm. many, many reasons. She, we were incredibly close. Um, you know, she was a, 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 an excellent Jewish mother mm-hmm. and um, it was, it was devastating. But what was more devastating for me was to discover that she had been shielding me and protecting me from my father, who was a narcissist. So this was the first, the first really like glimpse was after her death. And, you know, for a long time, I wrote off his odd behavior as grief because, you know, grief comes in many forms. Yeah. Right. Who are we to judge someone else's grief? Right. Except that it, it never stopped and it, it, it was awful. And he, he didn't said really hurtful things to me. And, you know, it, it was more than that. It was manipulation and gaslighting and triangulation. And um, he would give me the silent treatment for long, long periods of time and then decide that he was ready to be a family again. So in the meantime, here I am, you know, a, um, an educated person and I, I don't want to give up because I, I feel very strongly about my relationship with my father here. My mother just died right. and 
I, I don't want to walk away from this. And, you know, it's funny, um, in Judaism, we, we believe in tikkun olam, right? Yeah. Repair the world. And in my head, I'm sure this doesn't make sense, but in my head, I kept thinking that it was tikkun mishpacha, like it was repair <laughs> the family. It's my job to fix the family, right? Like that I couldn't walk away from that. And and I think I stayed for so long because I held out hope that, mm. that he would, you know, wake up one day and realize what was happening. But, he, but he's ill. He has an illness. It's a mm-hmm. mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so what did I do? I, I researched it and I, I interviewed people and I, I started what became this book in my journey. So really, you arrive at this work from a personal standpoint, not from negative professional experiences. Wait, wait, wait. And then... Oh, it gets better. <laughs> and Did your then... eyes open and all of a sudden you saw other things? Okay, tell us. So, you know, I had worked in um, one place for a very long time, and I had really been able to be the architect of their uh, foundation and their fundraising program. But I got to a point where it wasn't quite as challenging as perhaps I was looking for. I felt like I, um, it, it just wasn't as interesting as it had been. And so another opportunity came along and I, I went to that place and learned what a toxic workplace environment looks oh. like. Oh, and is this pa- happening in tandem with what you're facing on a personal level? Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So it was like all these signs are all these things are coming at me. And as I'm learning more and more, I'm learning that toxic bosses and toxic coworkers and toxic people in general are narcissists. Mm. And so the similarities and the characteristics and the behaviors are glaring. And then the reason that this book is not a memoir. It is not only my story. My story is woven in um, along with the stories of many others Mm -hmm. to really illustrate the concepts and the principles of narcissism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was able to show these real examples of narcissists in many different situations. So whether it's a parent or a romantic relationship or a sibling or it's a boss, Mm -hmm. I cover that in, in the book. So why don't we go there? How do we identify, you mentioned there were red flags like glaring at me. How do we identify those red flags that we're dealing that are telling us you're dealing with a narcissist and perhaps an or a toxic person? Perhaps we should even define narcissists first. What are those characteristics and what are those red flags? You know, um, so I have um, I have lots of uh, lists, right? <laughs> because inevitably you're looking for certain things. Um, so when you look at the characteristics of a narcissist and the characteristics of a uh, toxic person at work, obviously mm-hmm. they have a lot of similarities. But okay, they, man- they manifest a little bit differently at work. Okay, so a typical narcissist um, loves uh, to be needs needs narcissistic supply, which is their, to me, I, I equate it to their oxygen. That's the praise, the 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 envy, the recognition, um, all of it that they uh-huh. they need that all the time. And and when they're not getting it from someone, they'll move on to someone else or they'll find another outlet uh, where they can get that. Mm. And whether that's in, you know, um, doing good in their community or their um, religious area, or their family, whatever it is, however they can get that praise, mm-hmm. they will tr- they will solicit it themselves if it's not coming easily. Okay. They also cannot exhibit empathy. So this is a big ah. red flag to look for when someone isn't feeling well, when someone, I mean, there's such little simple things that we take for granted in relationships yeah. where when people genuinely care about you, they they exhibit empathy. They yeah. know that that everyone has trials and tribulations, mm-hmm. and narcissists cannot do this. And so, you know, once or twice you might look past it, and then all of a sudden, like the light bulb goes on, and you say, "Oh my! Like this is really 
problematic, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they don't take accountability for any of their actions. Um, when confronted, they will deflect, deny, uh, change the subject. Um, they have a very hard time apologizing. They will not apologize for anything that they've done to hurt you or done wrong because they can't take responsibility. But mm-hmm. they will, um, they give kind of a... Um, it's called a, a narcissist non-apology apology. Oh where- yes, the non-apology. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. I had Harriet. Lur- I had Harriet Lerner when she Lerner or Lerman. Oh my gosh, I forget. Um, <laughs> when she wrote that book, then I think it's called the non-apology or how to not apologize or something like that. Anyway, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yes, yes. So they apologize for like I. I'm sorry I ever even talked to that person. Mm-hmm. How about the fact that you hurt me? You said terrible things about me to that person. Well, they're apologizing for like the action that caused it, but not for <laughs> not for hurting you. So, um, yeah, it's real interesting. Um, they don't communicate well. Um, they expect you to know what they want and be able to read their minds. Um, this is a big one. Yeah. They love control. Mm. And it's control of every aspect. So, you know, I like to equate it to grade school when, when you got to be the line leader. Yeah. Like they want to be the line leader in perpetuity. All the time. <laughs> and if they're not the line leader or the leader of the organization or the community or the family, um, they're going to undermine the authority of that person and criticize and humiliate them until they capitulate. Mm-hmm. Because that's all they want. They just want to be the leader. They need for other people to revere and praise and adore them. And they can't do that if they're not leading the meeting or the discussion or the group. Right, right. So how you said it manifests a little bit different in the workplace. Yes. How so? So I have 10 characteristics that I use um, whenever I speak about toxic workplaces. Mm -hmm. And this applies to whether it's a toxic boss or it's a toxic coworker or toxic management, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, Most times uh, this person fits these characteristics. They do these things regularly. Um, I was lucky enough to have toxic bosses who fit all 10, (laughs) but... Sometimes you might only notice a few, you know, along the way. I mean, but, God um, was prepping you for the like <laughs> shooting at you. Listen, Lynn, I need you to take on this for the world. You got to help people. So let me send you toxic bosses with all characteristics. Let me send you a close family member who fits the bill and you'll be an expert. <laughs> Seriously, like how else? And you know what? I look at it as making lemonade out of the lemons. Yeah. You know, like I had to do something positive with yes. these negative experiences. Otherwise, why are we, why is God presenting a challenge? Thank you. Beautiful. Exactly. So what are these 10 characteristics? Let's learn. Let's ladies open your eye, your ears. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So number one, they don't take responsibility for their poor decisions, right? So they, they're the first to smile for the cameras, you know, when they show up when things are good, but when things are bad, they are throwing someone under the bus, throwing Mm -hmm. shade They're They're blaming other people. Oh, that's, oh, I remember that at work. Oh, yeah. Yes. Two, they avoid conflict at all costs. Um, they don't like to have uncomfortable conversations because they can never show that vulnerable side okay. of themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to have an uncomfortable conversation. They're going to delegate that to someone else to do. Mm-hmm. Three, this one is has always been my favorite because I can't even comprehend how they do it, but they manage to micromanage everyone. Mm-hmm. They seem to know everyone's job. They assign you a task. Then they email you, did you do the task? Then they email the person that they told you to talk to about the task, rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like mind boggling. Like we we are all intelligent, responsible people. Why did you hire me if you didn't think I was intelligent and responsible? Mm-hmm. Why would you think that you need to tell me every task and check on it as I do it? You know, mm-hmm. so this is what a toxic boss looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't communicate well or sometimes at all. Mm-hmm. And um, they have certain ways that they like to communicate. 
Sometimes it's not face-to-face. Sometimes they they like email. Sometimes they like talking to you on the phone. Sometimes it's about texting. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, that's their chosen method of communication. And you either embrace it or move on. Mm, Okay. Um, They assume that everyone is on call. 24-7, (laughs) 24-7, <laughs> no matter your pay level or level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I for me, this was just a blatant disrespect for any kind of personal time. Mm-hmm. Um, they email and text at all hours on evenings and weekends. Now, again, this is about boundaries. And this is about the fact that they need constant validation for their ideas. Yeah. They can't, just because they had an idea at 5.30 on, on a Saturday night or right. at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, they can't. Normal people would wait, right? Normal mm. people would wait till Monday morning to, yes. to let you know. But they can't because they need you to tell them what a good idea it is immediately. Wow. And they get upset if you don't respond to them within that time period, which is mind-boggling. Time. Right. Yes, personal time. Again, personal time. Um, they don't plan. There's never a strategic plan for the organization. They just keep reacting. So, you know, whatever is happening in the world, they, they just react to it. What often occurs is that because there's no research and no plan, um, no due diligence done, it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. when it doesn't work, they blame someone or something. They don't take responsibility and they pivot again. Um, I was at an organization, it felt like it was a nightmarish version of the hokey pokey because mm-hmm. we kept pivoting all the time, you know, from thing to thing to thing. Yeah. Awful. Um, they focus on short-term optics. They're never interested in the root cause of the problem. They'd rather throw a fresh coat of paint on or talk to the one happy employee, you know, of the uh-huh. whole place <laughs> than, than talk about the actual issue at hand. Right. Um, they completely ignore turnovers. So this really got me because uh, the last organization I worked at, they um, they had almost 25% turnover in one year. Whoa, Incredible. that's crazy. That's not a red flag. That's a strobe light, a yeah. flashing light, you know? So they, um, the CEO completely ignored that. He actually said to me at one point, I'm not in the business of begging people to stay. Mm. I thought, well, that says a lot about you mm. and the organization, but- what, why do they ignore turnovers? Because they don't want to shed light on their toxic behavior. The they don't want to rehash those things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is definitely a problem. That's number nine. Number 10, they, they, um, they will criticize and tell you that you've done something wrong without providing any guidance or coaching for how to do it right. Mm. And there really is is very little, if any, positive reinforcement. I, I like to tell people, please do not underestimate the power of praise and positive reinforcement when you are trying to create a team and a positive culture. You need that desperately. And without it, the toxicity is contagious. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I could see how similar they are, but evidently when you're in it working in a team, they manifest um, differently because of the nature of shared responsibilities and different people being involved. And one big one that you mentioned is this no, no planning and reacting and then things go wrong. And then obviously it's so easy for the narcissist to blame everybody in the line, but them, right? Um, So what are what are some tips for us to then because c- communicating and interacting with these types of people because now I'm in a uh, now I'm in an environment and I have team members sometimes my superiors who manifest who work like this how do we deal with it how do we communicate with these people well you know I always give people a caveat if you can leave this type of environment find another position somewhere else that's truly what's best. Okay, but absolutely. I, I understand that for many reasons, sometimes we need to stay in a workplace mm-hmm. for you know various reasons, the commute, the compensation, the childcare, the benefits, the health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So if and you maybe have- let's assume that it's temporary. Let's assume we're looking to leave, but in the meantime, until yeah. we have find something else that is suitable, we have to deal with this. 
And and that's the, the best case scenario, right? right? Is that it's temporary. So while you're there, it's important if you're going to stay, number one, do your job and do it well. Mm-hmm. Focus on the task, right? Uh, it would be great if you can make yourself a valued member of the organization. Mm. So whatever positive things you can do to show your value and to mm-hmm. show that you are a loyal member of the organization is positive for you. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we talked about how narcissists have trouble communicating and certainly toxic bosses don't communicate well, if at all. So what we need to do is stop challenging their communication style, embrace it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So, you know, if, if they don't make eye contact with you, move on, right? Because uh-huh. you're not going to change this person. You need to accept that. That's a hard one, I know. Yes. Because there's a part of us that wants to say, hey, look at me. Don't look at your phone. Look right. at me when you talk to me. Right. And, you know, I did that really well. How come you didn't even say good job? They're just never going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. So you need to be strong enough to know that they are not going to change. Focus on your task. Embrace their communication style. And, you know, I I tell people, if you have an opportunity to not interact with them, I'm by no means saying be insubordinate, Mm -hmm. but if you have an opportunity to take a meeting virtually or on the phone as a conference call, to not be in the same room with that person as much, it's better for you because Mm -hmm. it makes it a little more tolerable Mm -hmm. um, for the situation. Certainly Um, that those are the things that I tell people, I tell people you have to be strong. You have to have outlets, you know, make sure that you take care of your health, your mental, emotional health, make sure you practice self-care. So important exercise, meditate, pray all the above. And, and, and brings us to our financial health as well, because again, if we have money gives us options. So if we are financially healthy, the likelihood of us being able to walk away faster from a toxic environment increases highly, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. Money is freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about the characteristics of the toxicity and the the environment, the toxic environment, the narcissist. Are there, Lynn, certain characteristics that maybe you've noticed um, in people who and maybe it's women or maybe it's people in general who are more likely to fall prey to to that type of relationship or stay in it. Because see what you just described as tips to deal with this. Some of us, I think we can, we naturally kind of do it. We naturally set those boundaries or naturally don't take things personal. So I guess, have you noticed that there are certain weak spots or things to look out for yourself or ourselves that make us more vulnerable to being, to feel, to feel full prey to this type of toxicity? Not that I'm, I'm obviously the onus is on the per, the people who have the problem, but maybe there's something that um, you've noticed on the receiving end. Well, um, You know, first of all, I do want to tell you the statistics tell us that 80% of all narcissists are male. However, that does not mean that there aren't female narcissists, right? Mm -hmm. They exist. Absolutely. We're just probably a little more likely to run into a male narcissist Mm -hmm. by probability. Yeah. Um, That being said, I think that each situation is so unique Mm. in a way because in romantic relationships, there's some spark, there's some chemistry, Mm -hmm. right? People aren't, um, I don't think people do this. I certainly didn't do this with my husband where you um, interview them first, you know, and figure out that they're a narcissist before you get into the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that those relationships are perhaps the most difficult when it comes to identifying the characteristics. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, you know, my personal experience when it's a parent, um, I didn't I didn't know the red flags to look for because I grew up in that household and I had been conditioned to walk on eggshells my whole life. I didn't even know it. So um wow this is so nuanced and so complex, which begs the question, you said you use the expression, my mother had shielded me or protected me from his behavior all this time. Um, What do you remember about 
their dynamic, their relationship. Now that you can look back with the clarity of, oh, this person, that's just how they are. I just never knew that. What does that say about the way she dealt with it? You know, I've questioned that a lot in the last mm-hmm. 11 and a half years. I've, I've spent a lot of time um, and I've grown very close with my uh, aunt, my mother's sister. I was mm-hmm. always close with her, but I've definitely grown closer in these years. And I've asked her many times, like, why did she stay? Like, why was she there? She knew who he was. Like, mm-hmm. And I look now and I think there was some codependency there. Um, she needed to be needed. Mm-hmm. I think it must have been exhausting to pump him up every day and tell him, you know, that he was smart and good at what he did. And she, she did it. She may not have even realized she was doing it. They were together more than 40 years. I remember being an adult and being with them after he had spoken somewhere or done something. You know, of course, he's very charismatic and he's active in the community and narcissists often are. They're often um, very big personalities and people say, what a nice guy. But, you know, they're known to wear a mask in public and private. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they behave very differently and they never want to be exposed. They don't want people to know how they behave at home. Mm-hmm. And she, she was in, you know, she was just in for the whole thing. And, and, uh, the interesting thing is she really controlled the finances in the relationship. Really? And I think that's really kind of surprising when you look at these relationships, narcissists like to be in control. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was something they agreed upon early on. I don't know how that how that transpired. She taught me so much about financial responsibility and really everything that I know, all the major concepts about our finances, I learned from my mother. That is so interesting. But here's the funny part. And I really didn't put two and two together until quite recently, mm-hmm. but Since she passed away, now she told me everything. She was completely transparent Mm -hmm. about everything. My father has lied to me, has told me stories that are not true, Mm -hmm. has told me, has like, like tried to plead poverty about his finances. Now I know all of it. And I just can't believe he still wants to control me. And, you know, I'm an only child. I have two daughters and my mother was saving to send them each to college. Like she had funds. That was how she wanted to do things, except that she was so smart about finances. But when she died, Mm -hmm. she had the original will from when I was a child naming, Mm -hmm. you know, I was 39 when she died. So it was naming, you know, uh, guardians for me. So. She didn't take the time. I know that had she known what was going to occur, she would have done things differently. So she left everything to him. So he's in control Uh and he relishes it. Wow. And so he recently said to me that he would not be contributing to his grandchildren at all to their education because why should he? Right, 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 right even though she spent all these years saving for, for that, which, which speaks again to something that we speak about so often on this show about the transparency and the being in the same page. Um, evidently, your mother did some things very, very well, but it's so obvious that there was no equal communication and equal agreement there on what the, what the, what's the objective, what's the goal, what are the values that are behind these decisions. She's obviously a hero <laughs> for having put up with, um, you know, and to, on a positive note, you know, there might have been beautiful things about this marriage that she, we, de- we never know. We really, really, really never know. Let's talk about what might be obvious to you and I, but let's break it down for people. Now that we're talking about the finances, what might be the financial implications of being in a toxic relationship in the workplace? So um, narcissists like to control you, they like to control the situation and the people. Mm-hmm. And one great way to control you is to control your finances. Mm-hmm. So whether that's in a professional relationship where they can choose not to give you a raise, 
or they can choose to lessen your compensation in some way, or they can choose to give you more responsibility without more compensation. Yeah. Or it's in a romantic relationship where they have taken control of your finances and you don't have any independence. Mm-hmm. You don't have any um, any money that's yours. Right, right. There's no transparency. So in the workplace, we have to we have to be cognizant because on a personal level, I think people are more familiar with this, right? Like it's like a big red flag if like you don't know where the money is and only your husband knows where the money is. And please, ladies, like that's not a healthy way to be in a marriage. But there's so many people out there that are still subject to this. And so it is it is such a devastation. And when they want to leave, they feel like they're stuck in that situation mm-hmm. because they have no financial independence. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Awful. How, how, how can I leave if I have literally no money to my name? Um, which is not true because whatever you've built, you've built together. Right. Um, but in the work, as you said, so it could manifest itself in no, not getting erased, um, getting com- more responsibilities without compensation. It could even, even be pushing off your review and pushing off your race with excuses, excuse after excuse, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. These are things that we have to be aware of and we have to take a stand for period. Um, Do you think, do you think oftentimes that we're talking about money, um, having a sort of an unhealthy relationship with money can drive us to, to stay in these relationships where we just, okay, it's, it's somebody else's in control kind of thing. Like if we want someone to be in charge, like if we don't want to be in charge. Exactly, exactly. Like, could that be at the root that really what we're facing here is on, um, so on some level, I just don't, I'm scared of money. I'm scared of manage. I don't deserve the money. Right. And so what I end up doing is allowing somebody else to take control in a very harmful way. Gosh, personally, I can't ever imagine that. <laughs> but, but I understand what you're saying. Um, I think sometimes people say, you know, I'm not good at that. He mm-hmm. takes care of that. Or, or um, you know, I, I'm just here to, or if it's professional, I'm just here, you know, to do my job. And, you know, I'll get a raise eventually, or I'll get yes. paid eventually. But, you know, if, if that's the case, it's it's probably time to start reevaluating mm-hmm. and um you know there's so many services out there to help you write your resume and help you you know take the skills that you've learned and make them really attractive so that other people can see the the diamond you are you know mm-hmm. in this in this terrible in in the coal mine literally um, and yeah. you need to um dust yourself off and pick yourself up you know i talk a lot in my book about inner resources mhm and this is something that I think you can still get, even if you didn't have a mother like mine that, that provided the foundation for me. You know, she, she, to me, I define inner resources as the confidence that you know that you're loved and that gives you the confidence to go out there and do anything. Mm-hmm. But not everybody gets that right. at home. You're right. So you got to figure that out. And, you know, I think that inner resources can come from uh, gratification from a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. but it's, it's as if we need to, to reflect on ourselves and realize we are good at what we do. We are smart. Mm-hmm. We are able and we are compassionate and empathetic and we can do this. And so once, once we have that and you have to find whatever drives you, you know, yes. and whatever fills that bucket. So what is that? You know, if it's volunteering, if it's, if it's being in a relationship, if it's having friendships, whatever it is. I think we yes. need to do that. Definitely. And we're multifaceted, right? So yes. I got to ask you, when you encountered this, um, you came from a very positive experience in different workplaces, and then you are shocked by this. How long did it take you to spot what was going on and then to walk away? <laughs> yeah. So um, fun fact, I went through two toxic workplaces before I got here. Uh-huh. Um, so the first one, I was there four years because I felt like... Um, you know, I, I was hired for a reason and I should, you know, uh, accomplish my goals and do things. Things changed in that organization very radically. The mm-hmm. uh, leader who had been there for 
some ridiculous number, like 35 years, was actually made to resign for some Mm. improprieties. And as a result, the board, who had been a real rubber stamp board, all of a sudden had to be responsible. And that was where the toxicity came from. Mm. They actually hired, as a paid person, the treasurer of the board, who had signed all of the um, IRS reporting documents when the director was giving those improprieties and they hired him as the director. And so everything went downhill very quickly in that organization. Right. And I realized this was not a positive for me. You know, I think it's really good um, if you're ever debating whether you're in a toxic work environment, the easiest barometer there is, is to take your own temperature on a Mm -hmm. Sunday night. Mm. How do you feel Sunday night? Because I know I used to feel filled with stress and anxiety. I did not want the week to begin because I going to that place was so miserable. So I think that was, that was like, when you, yeah. when you look at that, right? That's a litmus test. Yes. 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 Because work, our work, we spend so much of our time in our work. Yes. And why should we not be in a place in an environment where we feel we are contributing, where we feel that it lights us up? Not just that we share our light, but it also lights us up and yes. makes us excited. And not to say that there's always going to be things at work that you don't love to do, but in general, there has to be this feeling that I'm working in something where I feel like I contribute, where I feel like I'm using my talents, where I feel like I'm people who have kind of like the same wavelength and so yes. much. These are important things. Don't forget, go back to my um, very important point. Don't underestimate the power of praise and positive mm-hmm. reinforcement in this environment because it. what happens when you get that? It inspires us, yes. motivates us, it, it gets us charged up, it gives us energy, right? Mm-hmm. We want to continue, we want to do more great things for this organization. Yeah. Well, what happens when you don't receive it? Yes, or or when you, you spoke about the, the behavior of not being able to communicate, when you have leadership who can communicate or articulate the mission, the inspiration, the where we're going with this, right? right. And it's all putting out fires, well, yeah. that's how you're going to feel constantly. You're not going to feel inspired. You're going to feel like you're dealing with one emergency after the next. And guess what that's called? So when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you're literally describing it. You're hypervigilant and you're always in flight or fight. That's no good for your immune system and your physical health and your mental health. No good. And and by the way, it's no good for your financial health either, because if you're constantly in that state, you can't make smart financial decisions and choices. And very likely you will might end up looking to things like food or, or, or shopping or other types of addictions just to nourish you because you're just constantly so deprived. That's an excellent point. You're absolutely right, Yael. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I have to think back of years where I was absolutely miserable in my work. And I think I definitely used Fifth Avenue because I worked very close. <laughs> as a way and my American Express card as a way to cope with what was going on inside the building. Yeah. That was not very healthy for me. No. Right? <laughs> right? Right. And on a personal level, I have to tell you, I also as an adult started evaluating the marriage of my parents and God bless them, they're wonderful parents, but I do I do know I now because of what I do, I notice the patterns and I was able to realize that a lot of my mother's shopping behavior which, oh my goodness, what did I learn from that? Had to do with the fact that she was unfulfilled in her marriage, period. She was wow. just unfulfilled. Wow. And um, when she got out of that relationship and she was in a much healthier place in a much better marriage, things changed. In fact, she was so savvy. She was investing. She was doing so many things. It was like the complete opposite. Wow. Wow. Powerful stuff. Yeah. I mean, powerful I, stuff. I wonder an awful lot what my mother would have looked like in a different relationship. Mm-hmm. Especially <laughs> being that she was so savvy and responsible, seems like by nature, right? Yes. Um, so 
you talked about the fact that you yourself, thanks to your mother, became really savvy with money and pretty responsible from a young age. Um, what was what have been some of the things that you feel you learned in that household, despite whatever what was going on? What are some of the things that she taught you that you feel helped you on in life? So um, she was a big proponent of uh, saving, so yeah. not spending your whole paycheck. Wow. And uh, she taught me that at a very early age, and I was I was very appreciative at many points in my life for that. I'm sure. Meanwhile, I learned about layaway. You remember layaway before there were credit cards? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because then she taught me about credit cards, and she told me you never buy things on a credit card that you cannot afford. Mm-hmm. Only credit cards are only a convenience, mm-hmm. and I look at that. I carry that with me to this day. We yeah. do not carry balances. Of course. So smart. Pay it off every month because that's what it is. It's just a convenience for not carrying cash, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are such important things. And I, I've taught my two daughters those same concepts because I, I, I think it's very important. It's funny, though. I have a 16-year-old who... Mm-hmm. Um, who I, w- I was trying to teach um, the value of money. She received yeah. the money for a holiday and uh, she went right out and, and bought a whole lot of um, crop tops and fun clothes. Yeah. And <laughs> as 16 year olds would do. <laughs> as 16 year olds would do. Correct. And then she dropped her phone soon after that. And the back of it, this was the, this was a few, a, a while back where the iPhone was the glass back mm-hmm. and it shattered. And I said to her, I wonder how many crop tops it takes to fix the phone. (laughs) She did not appreciate that. But you know, it's funny. We also did something very early on. Um, If if you have children and and you relate to this, um, my daughters both wanted American Girl dolls very, very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, they're very expensive dolls. And they had both always gone through toys very quickly. You know, love, 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 hate, hate, hate. It's on the floor. And my husband and I are like, how are we going to spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds? You actually spent thousands of dollars on these dolls. And um, so we decided that they would save their money. And when they got to to the right place, you know, of course, they bought the doll and then we bought the $1,000 in accessories and hair salon and all the other uh-huh. crazy stuff, right? Uh-huh. But the doll had great value to them because they were invested in it. Mm-hmm. And it was their money. They felt like they did chores and they did things and they saved birthday money and holiday money for that doll. So I do think it was um, money well spent. They love those dolls, by the yeah. way. They, love, they talk about playing with them. They're 20 and 16 now. They love those dolls. <laughs> and it has a lot to do with the fact that they paid a big chunk of that. <laughs> and it's funny. We used to talk about money in terms of American Girl dolls. So I'd say, oh, that costs half an American Girl doll. That yeah. costs two American Girl dolls. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great because that's how they, they can understand. That's a concrete way for them to understand it. I think that is amazing. So you learn how to save. We're about the same age group. I don't know. Age, we're about the same age. When you went to college at BU, I went to Tufts actually just oh, like around the corner. Yeah. But I was just sharing with my students. Back in the days, you would get not only had I been trained on you can buy on layaway, but then when I finally got to college and you were offered credit cards, you got to the student union on your first day in, on campus. And there was 10, 15, 20 credit card companies offering you a t-shirt and a baseball cap and a line of credit. And what did we know, right? They're not allowed to do this anymore. But yeah, and that got my generation to a lot of trouble, myself included. Right, because we, I, I did. Nobody taught me how to deal with credit. Why shouldn't I? Like nobody taught us what what were the consequences. Anyway, so it can't be that it was all so perfect. You have to tell me if there's been any challenges or you know failures around money that you've had to overcome. Oh, are you kidding? Of course, (laughs) of course, it's not rainbows and unicorns. Let's hear it. Of course. Well, so after my last toxic work environment in May, yeah. 
we we mutually parted ways and uh i have pivoted completely at a point in my life where you know we're supposed to start thinking about retirement and mm-hmm. you know uh how much longer we're going to work right. and i am starting all over again a new career I, yeah absolutely i have started but but again it's not really starting from the beginning it's starting from a place of experience right exactly obviously yes yes and yes. so i have my education and and i have all this great experience and i am putting it out into the world and i and i've written this book which is incredible i i hope i hope people appreciate and can use it as a guide as an easy to digest guide on what to do you know narcissists like to um create chaos and confusion mm-hmm. and i felt that and i started googling uh my father's behaviors which by the way is a huge red flag if you're <laughs> googling <laughs> <laughs> or your spouse's behavior. That is a <laughs> red flag. But, um, you know, I was looking for answers. And had this book been available, I know it would have provided me with a lot of concrete experience and answers that would have given me some peace of mind, certainly yeah. earlier, earlier on in the game. Yes. But, uh, but yes. So yes, here I am risking everything, finances and everything. And I have one daughter in college and one daughter going to college soon. And I'm putting it all out there. And uh, I, I'm, I'm betting on myself. And I am so happy to tell you that my husband is 100% in and he is so supportive and um, he has a much different financial outlook than I do. He is much more risk motivated, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on that tolerance yeah. when they ask you um, uh, your tolerance for risk. And he is a big believer that that with great risk is great reward. Yes. So. Yeah. It's so beautiful to hear. And for me, it's so inspiring. I so believe in it because, again, nothing is by chance like you told us before. So everything that's happened, if you fe- you're feeling called to serve in this area, so so yeah, it might mean that you're not getting right now that paycheck every month or every two weeks, right. but let's go back to the joy in working, right? And building something. I mean, and what you're teaching your your daughters and being in a relationship again, where there is transparency, financial transparency and good communication that you feel supported and do that in doing that is absolutely priceless. Yes. Agreed. A hundred percent. Agreed. So I want to ask a question about the workplace, what could be done? Uh, and perhaps this is something that you've already um, done work on in terms for those of us who are, you know, are either in work environments or run companies, what kind of better training or can be offered to employees and to teams that could help with these dynamics and create, is there anything that should be in place? Like it's, Saying from the corporate side, is there some sort of responsibility and some better practices that could be happening that would reduce the amount of toxicity? So absolutely, hundred percent. You're you're absolutely on the right track. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a, a, a two level um, solution. Yeah, I think that um, it needs to come from leadership. Mm-hmm. The leadership team needs to be a hundred percent behind it because if they're not, employees can tell. Of course, they, they can tell when you're not being transparent, right? Um, and so, with leadership, I think it's worth investing in training and mm-hmm. education for them. And so what does that look like? It could be some workshops. It could be some one-on-one coaching, um, all of which I, I am happy to provide. Mm-hmm. For the employees, I think it's about increasing our levels and our um, education about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's so necessary and and it's about leading with empathy. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding and listening. You know, uh, the Greek philosopher Epictetus told us we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice yeah. as much as we speak. Mm-hmm. Too often, uh, leadership, they, they have no concept of this and they, they just have their, their eye on the bottom line. And while, while that's so important, the soft skills that go along with leadership are critical to the health of the organization. Yes. 
And so if you don't have that emotional intelligence, and if people feel that they are replaceable and unimportant to the organization, they behave that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a horrible cycle yeah. of, uh, you know, that just keeps repeating. So the best way to, to disrupt the whole system is education and training. And, and I think it's possible. I think you can do both uh, reasonably. And I think it's an investment in the organization. And, and it's, it's an investment to prevent this from mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I, it, it, you mentioned the word emotional intelligence, and it's, it's actually quite shocking that still in our Western or maybe American um, society, we still don't, after so much research that's been done, we still don't give it the importance that it deserves. And we still tend to evaluate and praise children as they're growing up for the classic intelligence and not highlight at all the emotional intelligence piece, which I have to say, my mother was definitely ahead of her time on this one. And definitely that was something that was mentioned a lot when I was growing up. She was definitely ahead of her time. Um, but it is, we, we have work to do in this area as a society. Yes. Yes. We do. Because if we, if we can't, empathize with someone else, if we can't walk a mile in someone else's shoes, then then we'll never get to the next step. We'll never mm-hmm. improve our relationships. You know, um, I believe that I, I, I really do believe that emotional intelligence is the antidote to narcissism. Yeah. I think that um, when we ask deep questions, when we ask open-ended questions, when we listen to the responses, when we have uncomfortable conversations, we get to the next level in our relationship. Yeah. And whether that's at work or, or on a personal level, mm-hmm. you know, um, sometimes you work with someone and if it's all yes, no, yes, no, you know, this, that, spreadsheets and whatever, you, you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And when you do, different things happen. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think that uncomfortable conversations are risky and toxic bosses don't don't take those kind of risks yes because they're not vulnerable right they don't they don't show their vulnerability and i think that um, people who have uncomfortable conversations are willing to change Mm -hmm. and And they believe in others and they believe in themselves yes Right. Yes. Because we understand that a situation can definitely be better. Right. Yeah. And it's okay if I'm um, have to take responsibility for some of it. And it, the vulnerability is okay because I believe in the inherent good of the other human, of myself and the potential that is there is in the relationship, whether it be a team work relationship or uh, a romantic relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to, um, again, praise our children and recognize those soft skills in them and recognize when they're really being and kids, kids, kids naturally are. The fault is that we have been conditioned to recognize other things or to praise for other things. But kids are naturally empathetic. And yeah. are naturally very emotionally in tune, very much so. Absolutely. The, um, Lynn, any going back to you on a personal level, any habits that you practice regularly that you feel impact your financial life? And I'm sure now that you are, you know, pivoting in this beautiful way, you probably have to sit down and look at all those things as you sort of alluded. What What are those some of the things that you do regularly? Maybe it's even with your husband that you feel really keep you grounded and making the right choices for your family. Um, we definitely plan. We definitely have a lot of different plans happening um, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. We have our, our, our long-term plans and our short-term plans. And um, we we talk about um, vivid visualization frequently. Oh, tell us more. So um, vivid visualization is used both uh, personally and professionally. They use it mm-hmm. in a lot of companies for strategic plans. And the idea is to visualize where, what your goals are and, and what your goals are for one year, three years, five years, that type of right. thing. And so, but what does it look like? Like really dig into, you know, what, you know, if it's, if it's purchasing a house, what does the house look like? Or mm-hmm. if it's taking a vacation, what is it? What, where is it? And what food are you going to eat? And, you know, what are you going to wear and who's going to be there? And, you know, it really helps you get that vision and laser focus on it. Yeah. 
so that you can do what you need to do to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so important. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Both my girls have very interesting career goals and they're, they're, um, they're willing to do the work and prepare and go through their education. And they're very different people. You know, both girls, both same parents, same house, couldn't be more different. Of course. (laughs) You and I don't get this so much because we're only children. Not that we don't get it. We are enamored by this. I'm an only child too. And I always, I'm always enamored by the uniqueness of, I have four children and the how unique unique they are despite the fact that we both raised them you know pretty much the same way and not only that the relationship that they have with with them between them is magical to me but anyway go on sorry i caught you off and when they're when they're lovely to each other my my heart seems to to come outside of my body you know Um, and when they're not, my husband ugh. needs to remind me, you don't get it because you didn't have any siblings. Right. It's all good. <laughs> same. My husband, same, same. So I think that it's, it's critical to have that vivid vision of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And it helps you in those downtimes when you're feeling, you know, as a, as a solo entrepreneur in doing this, this work. Um, certainly there are days where it, it doesn't, doesn't feel so great, mm-hmm. but you have to be in it. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. So. so absolutely. I love that. I love that you're both into that. I love yes. that. Very much so. Yes, I I I I love visualization. I I really do. I think it's so important. Um, and I have many people on the show who've come and shared about how vision boards are so so helpful. Yeah. I believe it. Yes, I really really do. Let's wrap it up with what I like to call Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks, Lynn. And this is a part of the show where I'm going to give you an open ended sentence, and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Okay. Okay. First one is when I give tzedakah, I'd like to give to. I like to give to the Center for Hope for oh, of Western New York. For uh, it's uh, a center. Uh, you know, again, I, I came to this organization very organically mm-hmm. because I was in this space. I I didn't even know an organization like this existed. What and do they do? What a need it is um, when when people are victims of emotional abuse and, mm-hmm. and financial abuse. This is a great place for them to go. Mm. It's built on four pillars. Uh, the pillars are legal uh, representation and legal help, financial advising, mental health consulting, and holistic healing. Mm. And I think that, you know, this center is, is there for people on these four pillars so that they can heal and mm-hmm. be whole again after this traumatic experience. Um, oftentimes, they have victims come to them who want to leave, but don't have the financial ability uh-huh. to leave. And they're able to seek advice from our counselors on uh-huh. ways to uh, prepare. Wow, this is so yeah. important. Yes, so Yes. Um, and that is specific to New York Center of Hope. So the center, it's, it's, um, I, I want to make sure I get the website correct. It's www.centerforhopewny.org. So we're in Western New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm on the board. Oh, good for you. Them. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I'm a I'm a firm advocate for the so, center. So um, beautiful how it all aligns with your with your work and so many on so many levels. Amazing. Lynn, I'd like to make more money because uh, financial freedom. <laughs> gives you options, gives you freedom, yes. right? Yes. Something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is the need for um, a progressive or intermediate will. Yes, ladies, we have to update our wills. It's not something that we do once when our kids are born and we never take care of again. It's so important. By the way, I am due to update my will. I mean, it, it would still be relevant, but yeah. actually no, because I'm pretty sure I had a fourth child Um sins. So there you go. I'm going to be, I'm going to be made accountable now because I've said it on the show. (laughs) I need to update my will. And it's so easy. Yes. At the very least, because I know as an attorney, people think about wills as, um, I don't want to talk about death. I don't want to talk about, but how about the fact that 
No one will know your wishes and intentions unless you put it down on paper. Absolutely. And they're about the most important things in your, in your life, specifically your children. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm you don't dealing- want anybody else to make decisions about your children's no, future, no. except you and your husband. Yes. And I'm dealing with the ramifications from that mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. not so good. Yeah. Lynn, has, has the relationship with your father, have you, has there been some repair there? Are there still work to do on that? Um, so I tried within the last two years to repair it because I did not want to have the rage that I felt for Well, that's him. not healthy. Yeah. Because it's not healthy. And so I went to him and he said, I don't want to talk about who said what and who did it because they don't want to take accountability. Right. right? So um, I said, fine, we're going to go from here. Great. And guess what? He stopped talking to me when things were good. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that's what he does. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And then things went downhill very quickly. Mm. And uh, we are now in a no contact place, which unfortunately is where a lot of relationships with narcissists reside. Interesting. Yes. That's interesting. So it is, so it sounds to me like even if we try to put boundaries, sometimes it's hard, like they won't accept the boundaries. Correct. Correct. It's a, it's a very difficult situation. And, and um, you know, what struck me, and it struck me quite a while ago, but it, what struck me was that I would do anything for my children. Mm-hmm. If I hurt them, offended them, said something, did something, right. I would beg their forgiveness because they are the most important things in my life. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, that's not, not true right. in my relationship. And he is um, not interested. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's rough. Yeah, that is that is rough. But um, okay, we can't change others. We can only no. change ourselves. That's Correct. it. Correct. Lynn, from your perspective, money, spiritual or physical? I think it's both. Yeah, nice. I actually yeah. do too. Something yeah. I explore, John, unapologetically is healthy lifestyle. Really? What are you into? Organic food? What what are you into? What's healthy lifestyle? So we were hardcore vegetarians for years. Are you serious? Okay, I cannot relate. Tell me more. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. We were really, really, um, like when my kids were born, they were raised wow. with vegetarian. They didn't eat meat for years and years wow. and years. I, I like, truly admire it, by the way. I don't think that I could do it, but I do admire it. Uh-huh. It's funny because for me, I just, I wasn't a big meat eater. So, uh-huh. uh, but I will say somewhere along the way, um, we, I, I discovered we were, we were eating too many processed vegetarian foods and we wanted mm-hmm. to get away from the processed. So we're actually, um, we eat lectin free mm-hmm. uh, a lectin free diet now so we really still focused really plant based but we don't do any of the processed stuff so we don't do the fake meats or any of that mm-hmm. stuff um when we do eat chicken it's organic and grass fed and pasture raised and all that jazz and if we have a local butcher then that's better mm-hmm. um we still have some dairy but it's very minimal mm. i'm off dairy recently for the last few months and i feel oh, great and you feel great <laughs> interesting yeah. we the only dairy that we really have now is um, we do goat cheese uh-huh. and we do some um, imported cheese and that's it. Mm-hmm, that's very, mm-hmm. very little, very light. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't eat a lot of carbs. Uh, we eat an awful lot of cauliflower in a lot of different forms, I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> does not love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is too funny. So okay, so you splurge on the healthier foods. Um yeah, and our Peloton, you know? Oh yes. And people love it. I have some yeah. friends who've invested in it and they absolutely love it. We have yet to, but I keep th- oh. hearing many, many good things. It's great too because we do a lot of the exercise programs that are on demand yes, as right. well as just the bike. So excellent. Excellent. Yes, yes. Um Lynn Catalanos. Spender or saver? Saver. (laughs) Did I not know that already? (laughs) I should have been your friend when we were in college and I wouldn't have made so many mistakes. You were only down the road. Okay. Today, I'm most grateful for? My husband and my two children. Nice. Yes. And finally, I'm Lynn Catalano and I believe Jewish money matters because? Financial freedom is freedom. Mm. Yes. (sighs) 
Yes. And the, the, the mental freedom, right? Of the, I was discussing this with my husband when we learn to master the foundation beyond the numbers. I think there's something very fundamental, which is the trust in God above that there is abundance for you and that you're worthy and you deserve and you put your trust in that. That gives us such mental freedom to then do, create, serve, make the money, all the things because we are literally mentally free. We don't have to worry. We're so, so addicted to the worry. Yes. And what else are we free from? The toxicity from these people. We don't have to. Amen. Amen to that. Ladies, there's no excuse. Get your financial house in order. Don't, you know, don't uh, make yourself vulnerable to toxic relationships. (laughs) We can do better than that. We have to do better than that. Lynn Catalano, thank you so much. This was so insightful. Much, much success in this new endeavor and with the new book. It's coming out soon. Can we pre-order? Is that what's happening? Yes. You can go to my website and pre-order www.lynncatalano.com. Fantastic. And I'm sure there we can also find information about coaching and speaking and all the things, right? Yes, please. Absolutely (laughs) wonderful. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Lynn Catalano for stopping by. You can find her at lynncatalano.com or on TikTok and Instagram at lynncatalanospeaks. The book again is Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. And you can find it on Amazon or on her website, lynncatalano.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks to everyone who's already left a review last week, especially those of you who sent such beautiful wishes in celebration of my fifth years of podcasting. That was a lot of fun. This week is also fun. It's Purim. So I'm taking the week a little bit slower and I'm holding off on the Ask Yael episode as I did last week. Last week, actually, my dear producer was out of town and I wanted to give him a break. But um, but we'll be back here next week. Do send in those questions. Uh, and the following week, I will tackle them, tackle them all. I'm sure we're going to have questions on inflation and much more. Be sure to send those my way at yaeltrush.com on, I mean, at, at yaeltrush on Instagram or via email, yael at yaeltrush.com. I will continue to pick a reviewer of the week so that we get to sit and have a 20 minute conversation about your money, your life, your marriage, whatever's on your mind. Next Monday, we're talking about financial adulting with Ashley Feinstein Gersley, who's been on the show before. This time, we're diving into her latest book and much more. Stay tuned for that. Have a happy Purim and remember your Jewish money matters. 